This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Shalom everyone, welcome to Asia Torah, the Essentials Program. And uh, what can I say? Here we are. Um, I'm going to make a bracha. Um, first I want to offer cappuccino to anyone who wants cappuccino. Do you not want it? I want it, I just don't want all of it. Who wants some cappuccino? You'll have some? No, no, we have a cup here. You want a little? Yeah? Cappuccino shots. I don't, I only drink caffeine once a day, and uh, in honor of you all, I'm going to drink a little more than once a day, but I wouldn't drink a whole one, because... Anyone else wants some water? You you make this, right? Did you press the button? I did. Why didn't anybody press the button? Why didn't anybody press the button? There's a strange letter in the t- You know what my that I'm drinking and eating up here? I just haven't eaten today, so I've got a nibble once in a while. You notice that I don't eat? Yes. It's starting to dawn on me that I don't eat. Food just seems so mundane, you know? It's hard. And then when I finally eat, I really eat, like, less. Eating that type of food is going to be pretty mundane. Rabbi, as long as you meditate before you eat it. Hmm. Don't forget to ask a question so I can take another bite. Hmm. Okay, here we go. Um, God asks... Uh, God asks... There's a strange letter in the Torah. And the strange letter in the Torah is the Nun. And the letter Nun is where it says, Na'ase Adam, let us make man. There's a, it should say, E'ase Adam, I will make man. Or it says, I don't know how it should say, but, but the fact that it says, let us make man, is a, is a strange thing to say. Like, why would you say, why would God have in our Torah, let us make man? Why is it plural? And when you click on the nun there, when you click on the, that nun that makes it a plural statement, so then it takes you to the Medrash. And the Medrash is one of several ways of understanding Torah. There are four ways of understanding the Torah. One is the uh, simple. Shot. One is the pshat. And then uh, one is the remez. Thank you. One is the, the trush. And one is the... So, so. so, and that's the word <laughs> pardes, which the word pardes means the orchard, meaning it's the orchard of knowledge. It's the where we where we shop for our knowledge produce. Okay, it's the orchard of knowledge, and it's also, um, in amazingly, it's the word paradise. The word pardes is the word paradise. paradise. English gets its word from orchard, which in Hebrew again is pardes is the word paradise. Anyone know why the why shot remish drush sod is called paradise? 
Why would that be called paradise? <laughs> For most people, they're, the last thing they would define as paradise is, uh, you know, levels of wisdom and stuff. It's like knowledge, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll speak about it in a minute. But let's look at this. So we got shot, which means um, the simple understanding of something. So that's the uh, basic understanding of something. Um, by the way, what is how many basic understandings of every word in in Torah are there? Seventy. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? Meaning, for every word, there's seventy possibilities. Like the word midaber means to speak. Midbar means the wilderness, and then there's sixty-eight others. Yeah. You want to hear all sixty-eight? I know yeah. by heart. From midaber. Yeah. Just get out. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's about the only two I know really. So the shorts you can see sixty-eight times. Um, oh, another's midavar, midavar from that thing, from a thing. Sixty-eight meanings to dollar base rate. I'm just saying the word midbar will have another. It has seventy meanings. The word midbar. Okay. Now, um, it's per word or it's per like pasuk? Per word. So that's seventy possibilities. What's really amazing about that is is think about a sentence in Torah that has ten. I think the average has eight or ten uh, words. So, so what's seventy? If every word has seventy options, and you got ten words, seven hundred options, right? Way more, right? Oh, way more, right? Yeah, it's, it's change just one and have the same sentence. That would be seven hundred. Yeah, it's some gigantic number. And this is why I know I've said it before, but this is why the trans there's no such thing as translation of Torah. The, uh, our sages, you know what they call the translation of the Torah? They call it a castration. Because if there's 70 meanings for every word of Torah, that means that that the Torah is a wild animal. That's like, there's no way to lock in any definitions at all, really, of any particular... You cannot translate a sentence of the Torah. You cannot. It would not be possible to have a translation of a sentence in the Torah. So if you translate a sentence in the Torah, that means that you take you took that wild animal and you've neutered it into a, into translation. And we actually don't use the word translation for, um, like, for example, this is a big Tanakh. This is Torah, Prophets, and Writings. And how are you doing? Ladies, table for two right there, please. Close the door, please. And the, um, the this is called the Tanakh. And here's the Hebrew side, and this is the English side. But you know what we call this side? This side we call the interpretation. It's not a translation. Why? Because every word had to be interpreted. You get that? So there's no such thing as any translation of Hebrew. And using the word castration might be a little strong for your friends and parents and grandparents. So instead we call it an interpretation. So all English of Hebrew, all, all English from Hebrew that you read is an interpretation and w- and and whatever that giant exponential number would be like three mil- 7 million would be actually it gets goes from 7 million down to 1 which is what they interpret now how do they do it how are they supposed to interpret so the rabbis get together 
And all they do is ask themselves the following question. How can we create the least misunderstanding as possible? When someone reads this in English and Spanish and French and Latin, they, uh, when they read it, how can we create the least misunderstanding as possible? Mm. And that's, that's what they wrote. That's it. They're just trying to get the least understanding, misunderstanding. Mm. So you can be guaranteed that the words, let us make man, which sounds like there's plurality to, the, to God, when God is really one. So you can be sure that you'll almost see every time it says, God says, let and I will make man, or I'm going to make man, or it's always I, it's not we. Because they're going to be really careful about God's not being expressed in any plurality. But of course, Art Scroll is going to go out on a limb and say, let us make man. And then give you a little paragraph down below to explain why it says us. So what's the meaning? We're not there yet. <laughs> yes, ma'am. So if there's so many ways to for every word and then sentences and then there's thousands upon thousands of words in the in the Tanakh and Torah, how do we know that we're living it the right way? How do we know that it's been translated the right way? How do we how do we know? How do we know that it's been interpreted in the right way? Mm-hmm. It's from the rabbis, just from the rabbis. So I mean some rules will be very straight straight, like <laughs> Well, don't kill or or um, keep sh- uh, don't do malacha on Shabbat. Now, malacha could have seventy meanings. You see the danger; it could have seventy meanings of not doing malacha. Turns out, the malacha is you have to look for the rabbis, and the rabbis say there's forty nine. So, what about if somebody struggles with the malacha? What's that? What if somebody struggles with the malacha and I'm like? <laughs> no one struggles with the malacha. Not at all. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, uh, oh. I think I, I didn't sleep enough. <laughs> I'm still kind of in bed right now. Um, I, had a, I had a late night beer bazaar uh, moment over there. He's uh, one of my. Uh, he's really probably my best friend in the world. Uh, flew in, and we couldn't be together. He's only here for a day, so the only way was after my Rebbe's wedding. Meaning after a wedding. That's when I began drinking. Just kidding. That's when I met him at Beer Bazaar. But we only parted at like 2 in the morning. Um, where are we at now? Everyone has, everyone, anyone with a brain doesn't have issues with the sages dictating how we live. No offense. <laughs> what do I mean anyone with a brain? Meaning anyone with a brain will ask. And they'll speak to rabbis, and the rabbis will say, "Duh, so you can't understand a single. You can't understand a single word of Torah without the rabbis. You can't understand a single commandment. Six. The Torah has six hundred thirteen what? Hyperlinks. There are hyperlinks that take you to a website. That website goes into tremendous detail, but." It, you definitely know, when you look at our Torah, you definitely know it's expecting stuff of us. And it explains none of it. None of it. Not one explanation of one commandment. These sitsis I'm wearing, it says nothing but the word sitsis. It doesn't say what to do with it, where to put it, or anything like that. We, or what it's made of, or the knots and the strings and everything. Like, 
It says nothing. Oh, it says put sitsis on you know, the four corners of your garment. I ain't got no four-corner garments. What do you think? I wear a poncho. I think my name is Jose Sanchez. I don't have a poncho. How many people walk around in poncho? And Jews have to be very careful, by the way. All those men who like want to go as a Mexican on Purim, they don't realize the trouble. They're, they're like, they're getting themselves in trouble. Because if they don't put sitsis on their poncho, yeah, they're, they're going to get an El Poncho from God. I'm going crazy here because I got a, I have a, uh, I'm going off screen for this. I have a, um, what you might call it? A flaxseed. <laughs> I'm spending the whole... Every time I'm not talking, I'm trying to get it out with my tongue. But it's, like, ridiculous. Hold on. I have floss. Floss would be good. I got it. I don't know. I think you're a flaxy. I have floss. No, I got it. Mm. It's all, like, oh, that'd be cool. Facebook Live could do that. Um, yeah, we're back. Are you like, are you, can you pause those things? I don't think so. Okay. This is like my weirdest week of teaching ever. I've never done this where I'm like, I think what happens is once you've talked this many years in front of people every single day, you lose all composure. <laughs> Meaning you're supposed to be a little bit scared of what people think of you when you're public speaking, but that's long gone. <laughs> I don't really care what anyone thinks of it, which is great because... You're going to get the real stuff now, if I can finally get my head focused enough to share it. Now, that's shot. <laughs> I'm speaking about a million things at once, but they, my brain's going a million things. Since the Torah does not define any commandment, yet it seems to so clearly expect us to do them, we got rabbis for that. And how do you know, how do you know, by the way, because I, I didn't finish this yet, tonight, how do we know Kabbalah is true? How do you know Kabbalah is true? All the mysticism. How do you know it's true? So the answer is, the same rabbis who taught us how to make a bird sitzes, or what the 40, 39 malacha are, are the same exact rabbis who taught us all the Kabbalah. It's the same people. Yeah, but Kabbalah's same peeps. One-stop shop. It's not like today where, where one rabbi is good at Kabbalah, another guy is good at Hevchel Shabbos, and another guy is good at Chumash. In those days... It was one-stop shop. The same rabbi teaching you about the halachas of kashras was the same rabbi teaching you about metaphysical realities like the oilamois and the, how God creates the world from light energy into matter and how souls transmigrate from person to person throughout the, the incarnations and stuff. It's the same rabbis. So I notice most of you in this room, I see you have a question, bro. Just kidding. Um, Okay. <laughs> it's, like, <coughs> it's enough to raise it quickly, and I know. So, the um, the um, the chachamim are the the same ones who taught us. I see all of us here. Think about this, ladies. You're trusting them. You're trusting them for your day to day Jewish life. It's, and that's heavy stuff, meaning that's who's a Jew. We're trusting him for what a mikvah is supposed to be. 
we're trusting him for who is a Jew at all that we know we're Jewish because you're only Jewish because you're a Jewish mother, grandmother, great grandmother, great 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 grandmother, all the way down. Who says it's through the mother? We're trusting the rabbis through that. Right. Meaning your very flesh, your very flesh, which came from the kedushin of your parents and their and the mikvah of your mother and all that stuff. That's all. We're trusting the rabbis on absolutely everything. Your whole life is the rabbis. And you couldn't do a single commandment without the rabbis. You wouldn't know nothing without them. And they're the ones also, and I'm just adding this point, they're the ones also who brought the Kabbalah, the Jewish mysticism, and all the secrets of creation are all for <coughs> So that means that when you're learning Jewish mysticism, you're getting, you're getting high-level pedigree Information. We're getting like high, high level uh, integrity of, of the facts that are shared, even though sometimes you're learning Kabbalah and you're like, what? Like really far out stuff. That far out stuff's the real deal. It's in, it, just as a side note, you'll notice that Aboriginal cultures, uh, whether they're in uh, whatever continent you go to, but the indigenous cultures, their mystics have the same info as the Kabbalists, which is always interesting. The Kabbalists have it expanded, meaning the Kabbalists have one fact that the mystics could talk about from other other um, traditions on the planet. That one fact for the Kabbalists, you'll click on that one, and the Kabbalists will tell you like, you know, thousands of facts off that one fact that the mystic knew. Because the mystics are, the mystics don't have, uh, they didn't have a Sinai experience, they derive their information through other means. Yes, sir? Yeah, so Kabbalah has a different history from the rest of the oral law, which means that the oral law was being passed down from generation to generation with everybody involved. But Kabbalah was only being passed down from like one person to one person to one person until the Arizal came along and made it more accessible to people. So basically there were hundreds of years going on when Kabbalah was not part of the typical oral law and it was only like going from one rabbi to one rabbi. So I don't think it like gets the same treatment as the rest of the oral law, if you're going to ask about it. No, it gets the same treatment because the, the Zohar, if it wasn't for the Zohar, then it wouldn't get the same treatment. Okay, but nobody knows, nobody knows how to read the Zohar. The Arizal told everybody how to read it. <laughs> you want to know something funny? No one knows how to read the Ari. That's a Where we're at now, no one can really understand the Ari song. You know, there's a couple of rabbis probably in this generation who could read the Ari and understand it. And you know what his whole work was? Like he spent his whole life just to explain the Zohar. And now it's his writings on how to understand the Zohar are unexplainable. Inexplicable. Um, back to our subject. You Wait, you didn't answer my question. Rabbi, everyone's asking, they're not eating. Oh, yeah, they're asking, I'm not eating. Sorry. Well, no, now I'm freaked out about the flaxseed. <laughs> Each piece has flaxseeds on You know what it's like? It's like being a public speaker, and they, they give you a fresh bottle of soda water as your drink. <laughs> Meaning, next time you open your mouth, you just burp. Hey, tell, the story, <laughs> tell the story about the school. <laughs> this happened to me. I was speaking to about 3,000 girls of Hasidut uh, of Baba in, uh, in uh, New York City, in, in uh, Brooklyn, Borough Park. 3,000 girls, and they didn't move the entire time. Which, for me, you know, with my psychedelic background, they were so still, the 3,000 girls, that it started to look like it was two-dimensional. <laughs> Tried speaking to a two-dimensional picture. 
of the Bubba Hasidic girls. And, and so I'm, I'm just like surviving the class for an hour and a half. Anyway, after about an hour, I realized, I just need to drink. So I said to the, I like, like lean, look towards the principal, and I'm like, could you bring me drink? And it's 3,000 people, so like I'm holding everybody there. Drink, please. Anyway, all she brings me is a fresh bottle of soda water. So I'm desperate. I'm like dying. So I just take the soda bottle, and I, I just start, I just pour it, and like drink a whole glass. <laughs> Forgetting about the effects of potent soda water. Anyway, I come back to the microphone. <laughs> and in the microphone I just go like <laughs> and this was the freakiest part is all 3,000 of them went like this like they all went no they all went like <laughs> it made me laugh <laughs> wait no my question I didn't answer it. I answered it. No, you didn't. If you have a zo- if the Zohar says Amar Rebbe Akiva, Amar Rebbe Yochanan, Amar Rebbe Shimon, Amar Rebbe Yosi, yeah, but nobody knows what that stuff means. Those people. What do you mean? You know, the fact that we don't know what it means. Yeah, the stuff we do know what it means. Some stuff we do know. We don't know all of it. We know a lot of it. We know a lot of stuff. The Zohar, Zohar is massive. We know a lot of stuff from the Zohar. Yeah, but it's impossible to read. No, it is not. It's not impossible to read. There are there, much of it is hard to read, much of it is difficult to understand, but a lot of it's understandable. Yes, sir. I always looked into what. How do we know we're right over the Christians? And what got me? They just arrested two Christians on the Temple Mount today, congressmen. Really? <laughs> what? What were they doing? For what? You didn't hear about this? No. Two congressmen from the U.S. Congress went up on the Temple Mount today. And they did, I guess, a photo op with a olive branch. But I guess olive branches aren't permitted to be raised. And they got arrested. Where are they now? Got to be careful over there. Where are they now? Right now, they're having an orifice search. Yes. We're going off live. <laughs> so the Christians and the. And what, what made me feel better about it is I looked into the, the Chumash and I, um, it says straight out, it says uh, God will never abandon you. Um, if someone comes along, don't believe him. You know, he's a false prophet. Yeah. So now you're, you're wiping all away those proofs that I always brought to make me feel better about it and saying we don't know what that does mean. We're relying on the rabbis. We're all biased, purely biased. Mm-hmm. So how, how, I mean... I'm not going to sleep tonight. That's such a great question you're asking. You're really a smart guy. Why don't you go to yeshiva? Who's what are you that? doing in yeshiva? Who's that? I'm not in yeshiva. Oh, <laughs> you told me yesterday. I'm learning in the morning in yeshiva. Uh-huh. Cool. Um. <coughs> there, are, there are lines in Torah that are, that even though there's 70 ways to understand them, mm-hmm. and we do need the rabbis for them, there, um, there are. No, no one's expecting you to go into like esoteric, exponential possible meanings there, and and we don't need the rabbis for the words. You are an eternal nation. We need the rabbis for how to make a prayer to fill. Understand? You're not discussing a commandment, so you can sleep. 
Pshat is the basic understanding. Rem is. Rem is, is the the hint. It's a tradition. It's uh, literally means the word hint, but a rem is is uh, parts of the Torah that are hinting at something that are. Um, you know, it just it, embedded in the word is a certain hint that you're supposed to. You know, it's like a a prompt. It's supposed to prompt you to think about something. So For there's example. there's words in the Torah that are prompts. For example. <laughs> Nothing's coming to me right now. Um, something will come to me. Uh, I really could literally open it randomly and probably find one. Let's see what Hashem sends. No, she wants an example of a remez. It's like it says two words or something like extra word. Yeah, but I thought she wanted an example. Uh, that that's also called an example. They were detained because the Jerusalem they're subject to the... You Googled it? They're subject to the rule of uh, the Islamic rule. And any suspicious, like, slightest movement or utterance made by visitors is suspect. And so, suspect. Yeah, very strict laws are what's suspect. Okay. Next is the Drash. And the Drash is the oral tradition... Of, of that, um, of whatever it is you're learning Torah. And that's what we're going to do with an N or the Nun. And then the last is Sod, is the uh, mystical, the mystical Kabbalistic interpretation. So that's called the Pardes. Now, just I just want to explain why it's called Paradise, because Paradise is often referred to as Gan Eden, like the next world, the Garden of Eden. Which is interesting that it's called a garden as well, because we're talking about an orchard and the Garden of Eden. But the reason why these are called paradise is because the next world that we go to when we die is made of uh, it's made of vibrational frequencies, and those vibrational frequencies are are um, they're they're being beamed out of the chokmah bin and das of God, and they're made of the wisdom, uh, meaning the whole creation is made of wisdom. The whole creation is made of, of the thoughts of God. We're, we're all just, we are right now the outer crust of God's thinking right now. The outer crust of the thoughts. And so when you die, you go to a realm of frequency that uh, it's all, you know, it's all mathematics. But those mathematics are all created, connected to letters. And just like, an, you know, a zine is, a, is seven and a tet is eight. So it's all made of these frequencies. And these frequencies, when put all together, create a ma- an incredible, um, almost like a woven reality of wisdom that you will be in when you when, when you pass away. And that's the pardes. So down here, we're on the outer crust of all that wisdom, this physical world we're in. But when you die, you go into the actual um, whole matrix of that leads to the outer crust. That's where you go. So, what does that have to do with our studies? 
is that when you study Torah, you are developing your relationship to the wisdom. You're developing wisdom. And not just us, Gentiles too. When a Gentile, they don't study Torah necessarily, but when they study wisdom, they get to know this. And interestingly, you can check this out later if you want to do it on Google or YouTube, is, is that when, when Gentiles, or Jews, have a near-death experience, when they die and they come back to life, they, uh, we got to raise money for the rabbis here. We're raising money for the rabbi for, for uh, Shabbos. Anyway, when, when, um, when people die and come back to life, on a, like meaning ambulance people come and like give them the people jumper cables and they get back to life, they, uh, uh, many of them say that when they were in the next world, it looked like, it looked like it, there were like buildings made of wisdom. And when you went inside the buildings, you would have this experience of, of the wisdom in, of the building. And the, it was like everything was made of letters and everything was made of wisdom. And those same people, when they come back to physicality, what happens is they, uh, they become scholars. So the guy could be a trash man who just picks up trash and never even graduated high school. Suddenly, he can't stop reading. After, when they come back from death, they become voracious readers of wisdom, and they just try to get as much wisdom as possible while they're alive. And so, and so, I'm just telling all of you. Where can I Google this stuff? I uh, just cool. NDE years, uh, NDE, NDE, NDE testimonials, um, and then maybe write the word wisdom. The what I want to say to all of you is that you should never take Torah study lightly. You're literally developing your next world while you study Torah. You're, you're, the more wisdom you gather in this world the more you're setting yourself up for, for eternity. And, and we, know this for, we know this from Torah source, and I'm just bringing an external source, that NDEers, near-death experience people, come back to become uh, gatherers of wisdom for the rest of their lives. Like They realize that if you really want to really decipher what's happening in the next world, you want the key. It's like a map has a legend at the bottom, tells you what everything means. The different signs on the map, that's called the legend. So when you learn Torah in this world, you're, you're getting the legend for when you see the map in the next world. Isn't that like an unfair advantage? Like if someone like has like a, an NED and then they come back and they acquire all the knowledge they can so they can build up the best possible like for themselves. Yeah, they generally, those people generally share with the world what they've discovered. They're usually not so, they're very vocal. And they'll tell ears. Anyone they can, they tell. Yeah, they're vocal. That's why you can go on YouTube and just watch tons of testimonials because they want the world to know that we're, we're here to be good and wisdom. They also, you should know, they quit their jobs when they come back. If they have a selfish job, Certain people, most people are, who work have are doing the service, but there are people who work who they have a certain job that's just not really serving anyone except themselves. They always quit that. They're done with it because um, because they all say that one of the questions they asked is what did you do while you were there in the physical world, but what they meant was what did you do for others. You have in this world. Yeah, whatever you do for others is what will count, and whatever you do for yourself is what will not count. Now, it can be mixed, 
mixed, but you only you only get the part that was for others. I I saw one testimonial of a guy who was uh, he really worked hard in his life doing as like a chairman of like the I think the Lung Cancer Society. He was like a big chairman of things and worked hard on it and stuff. But meanwhile, got all the honor of being like the chairman of some major organization and. When he went upstairs and he asked, what did you do? He kept saying, I was the chairman of this. And they were like, they kept saying, what did you do? And he was like, I told you what I did. What did you do? And finally, they were like, he was like, you tell me what I did. And they were like, sometimes you thanked parking attendants. Sometimes. Meaning sometimes you were leaving a parking lot and you said thank you. When they, when they, when your car left the parking lot, and when you learn what I'm sharing with you right now, like since the rest of the class has been a little nut, nutty, but when you learn like some of these points, like the wisdom point, Parday's points important. We actually, the truth is, we did cover a lot of important things, and we're still going to. But, but when you learn a point like that, you realize that you should spend your day not only gathering wisdom, but giving, giving to others. Give, 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 give. And, and as much as you can take your ego out of the giving experience, which we're always going to have the pleasure. I mean, you can't get rid of the pleasure of giving. And in fact, God gave us a pleasure of giving, so we probably want to give more. But when you give, try to get the ego out of it as much as possible. Don't worry, it won't, a little ego won't ruin it. But uh, you want to be in a giving mode as much as possible. And you want to know something? If you're in a giving mode as much as possible, and it, let's say everyone was, would you ever have to worry about anything again? No. <coughs> you realize the only reason you worry about yourself is because perhaps no one else will worry about you. But imagine living in a world where everyone gives. Everyone gives. Meaning, meaning. let's put it like, hold your question, please. Let's put it like this. What if I could find 100 people? Maybe that's too much. What if I could find 10 people who their whole thing is just that you do, that you're going to be okay. Financially, health, everything. Ten people. And your job is to worry about one of them. Or do you have to worry about ten of them? Ten other people? I don't know how to do the numbers, but... Just imagine you had like a bunch of people worrying about you and you worry about someone else. Could that work? I don't understand that very much. It would work? What if, I mean, let's put it like, what if I only worried about my wife's well-being and she only worried about my well-being? So she always knows I'm totally looking after her and I always know she's totally looking after me. Do I have to look after myself? No. She's looking after me. So she can't look after everything? No, no, meaning just needs, like... It needs. I gotta call this place, or I gotta go. You know, I gotta go to this office, or I gotta do this. You shouldn't drink any more coffee. Oh, she's not here right now. You need to <laughs> What? I said it sounds codependent. Oh, <laughs> it'd be nice. It'd be nice to know that you're covered, right? You know what Rabbi Nechemyer says? Rabbi Nechemyer says that if you find what was it? If you find a, if a, if a woman finds a man that takes care of everything, marry him. Uh, if you find a man that takes care of everything, marry him. So the man really should take care of himself and her. But but if 
Now, by the way, there should be a little more criteria than the fact that he takes care of everything. But, but that's the key. And for the men listening to this, is your job's to take care of everything. <laughs> Which no man in 2018 wants to do. He wants to take care of nothing and have her take care of him so he can just cry in her arms like a little boy. But, the, uh, but seriously, if, you, if a woman finds a man who takes care of everything, you, you found the pot of gold. And for the men is become the man who takes care of everything. You gotta become that man. And by the way, that does not mean you have money. And raise your hand, girls. Let's see, just we got a bunch of girls in here. Raise your hand if you found your soulmate and he ain't got no money yet. He'll earn money, but he's ain't got none yet. No money yet, but you found your man and he's a man. Yeah, which means he'll definitely earn. Men earn. Okay? Uh, raise your hand if you'd marry him even though he ain't got no money yet. Only two of you? Oh, three, four. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Pressure. Let me ask it again. No, no, I seriously want to know. Who would marry a man who has no money, but he's got everything it takes to get the money, and he doesn't have big issues that are going to mess up his ability to support? Okay? Raise your hand if he's got no money at all. I mean, you're going to live poor for a couple of years, but then he'll be fine once he gets it together. Okay, raise your hand. Ladies, if you'd take that guy. No exception? Nothing. She, okay, one exception. So let me just put that on the record, especially those watching this online. That Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech Ha'olam Hamoitzi Lechem Min Ha'oretz Baruch Atah Hashem. Out of I know that one too. Out of thirteen, out of fourteen girls in this room, thirteen of them are willing to marry a man of no means. <laughs> Do you know how many? You know how many? Uh, you need to complete that sentence. You can finish it. That's not what you said. Did I say no means? No means. No financial. Well, no fi- No money. Yeah, but it's coming. It They'll all marry a broke guy. No, <laughs> there were butts in there. Thirteen out of fourteen women would marry a broke guy. No, I said who's going to have great earning ability. He's going to earn. Every man has great earning. you got to put an anonymous bucket to really know what's... So that's an amazing fact. You want to know why? It's easier said than Because I know a lot of men. I know a lot of men who won't date until they have money. A lot of girls also won't. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Actually, one of my friends whose initials are JK, JC. JC. <laughs> one of my friends whose initials are JC, and it's not Jesus, okay? Um... <laughs> But he said he was going to be here today. He was not here today, but maybe he's watching this online. But he was telling me, he, last night he told me, I can't even get married because of money. And we proved that. And this guy's got serious earning ability. I don't okay. believe anybody here. I think it's easier said than done. No, Just marry a man with no money? Yeah. yeah. It's I'm he's older, a good person. I'm he works. Yeah. Like, you don't need to marry the most rich guy that you find. You don't need to marry the the one that works the most and wants to like be better every day that's your goal okay since we're since we're on this let's do another poll how many women here are willing to sacrifice lots of time that he makes money or that's one or b and everyone has to vote or b is be poorer but spend more time together Okay, raise your hand wait, for... Wait, 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 number one is, he makes lots of money, meaning there's you never have to worry about money. Money is a non-issue in your home. 
but you don't get to see him much. Where's he going to be? Nor are your kids going to see him much. He's traveling. No, I'd rather be poor and spend time with him in my family. <laughs> with, what do you mean, like beautiful secretaries or something? Yeah. <laughs> it's an all-male office. Okay? All-male office, you're not going to see him much, but you're going to be wealthy. Or you're going to be, like, you'll have things covered. There's not going to be any real wealth. Everything will be covered. But you'll covered. see him. You'll see him, you know, a lot. Your kids are going to be raised by him a lot. Okay? So everyone who says the first one, raise your hand. <laughs> was your father like that? He raised his hand, too. And every, He's raising him for each one. And everyone raise your hand for the second one. Whoa. The women want their men around. Women want their men around. And they're willing to sacrifice financially for the relationship. Not you? Oh, so you were part of the first one. You don't mind. Was your father out working and making all the money? No. Can I say something? Yeah. This was this is a generational thing because because when I grew up, most women, many many of my peers supported their husbands to medical school and law school in uh -huh. the community. Uh -huh. Many did, and they did it because of the anticipation that the men would then make money and then they could have a comfortable family, and it was very common. And I think we you know we've moved. I don't know where exactly we are now. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> Okay, now, there, there's a nun in the Torah. Wait, i got to say the nun because it's, it's late. There's a nun in the Torah that says, Nase Adam, which means let us make man. And where it says, let us make man, it's where it says, let us make... Bye. Where it says, let us make man, it's God. So this is a, a drush. It's an oral tradition, a midrash, where God has a conversation with the angels, where the angels say, who is man that... Will he will ever recognize you? Who is man that he'll recognize you? The man's never going to recognize you. So, when they ask that question, who is man? So now I'm doing my own drush here. Is God showed them a stick figure of man, and the angels said, the angels said, okay, he looks pretty cool. What do we do with him? And and what are all these things? So. So God says, well, these are eyes. And the angels say, oh, so he'll be able to see you like us because the angels have pure vision of God, whereas we're on, as I always say, we're on the outer crust. We don't get to see through. So he'll be able to see you. And, and, uh, and God says, no, he will not be able to see me. So the angels say, why would you create a being that can't see you? And God says, well, they'll have free will. <laughs> the angel's like, too much free will. Like, that would really, that's too much free will. And, and then God points to the ears, and they're like, what's that? And, and, and to hear you, right? And then the better to hear you with. And what, what are those giant ears? And, the, and, the, and then the, uh, the, God says, no, they won't be able to hear me. They won't be able to hear it. Notice, by the way, just on this fact that that when it after it failed for like twenty four hundred years, or let's say two thousand years, nineteen forty eight, Abraham was born, and he's he gets prophecy. He gets prophecy, so he can he can hear, and he can see. Right? What's what's a prophet called? He's also called a seer. So he can see, and he can hear, but but. Till then, it was not the rules. The rules are he can't hear, he can't see. That's, and that is why our rabbis know the stuff of the mystics. 
of all the jungles and the deserts of the planet, that the mystics that have learned <coughs> about, about the divine, our rabbis know about all this stuff. Why? Because the divine, the whole metaphysical divine world, is that's the small stuff for a prophet. Knowing the divine is the small stuff. Whereas, whereas mystics of the world, knowing the divine is the stuff. Like, that is their, that is their mysticism. You know, that's what they know. That's the body of knowledge that mystics have. Whereas for us, the rabbis, the whole, that whole tradition of the divine, the metaphysics, is, uh, is the small stuff compared to the real body of Kabbalah. Anyway, but back to us. Um, they ask, what's this mouth? So the mouth, so they, they, they're, the, they really freak out. They really freak out the angels. And this is what we'll finish with. You see, man is called Adam. Adam, from the word Adam, Adame, like from the Adama, Adame, is I will be like him. I will emulate. The word Adam means to emulate. You'll notice everyone's emulating. Like you're probably so much like your mom and your dad and, and like whatever your superheroes were as a kid. Like we're, we're just emulators. And that's the whole freaky thing is so many people don't even know who they are because we're so busy emulating that they, their whole personalities become someone else. And uh, but we're supposed. To, who are we supposed to emulate? Hashem. We're supposed to emulate Hashem. Now the numerical value of the word Adam is what? Uh, is forty-five. Okay, which is numerical value of which is numerical value of Ma. Meaning the whole point of man, whole point of hum, the whole point of humanity is just to ask the question what. Or lima, like Spanish is K, K is what? And porque is for what? Lima, or lama, is for what? Questions and please put money in the cup. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.